The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey, everybody. This is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. It's January of 2023. We just finished off a year of podcasting. I'm fat as fuck from the holidays, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm really looking forward to to diving in with the guest today, who is Brad Thomas, who is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Evercast, which is a SaaS platform servicing media media companies. And um, you know, he is a Phoenix guy. He's Raised approximately fifteen million, uh, yep. around sixty-five FTEs. Is that right? Uh, yeah, about that. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, Brad, g- give us a spiel. What's going on? Dude. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your company. Well, first of all, I was looking in the mirror too, and I noticed uh, I need to, you know, take a little break on drinking a little bit. And <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta stop doing coke. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's always the coke. <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, man. I mean, I. Uh, I mean, it's pretty crazy that a, you know, as guy from, I grew up in Chicago, but I moved here 20 years ago. So I've been here longer than, you know, growing up in Chicago, but it's crazy how a company in Phoenix basically to a certain extent saved Hollywood from COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, and we weren't, we, I mean, obviously no one could ever plan for anything like that, but it was definitely a roller coaster ride. It was a roller coaster ride leading up to COVID and then it was a roller coaster ride ever since COVID. So it's been like two different roller coaster rides. One's is the whole startup process and trying to raise capital for an idea, you know, the vaporware, right? It's like, I got this fucking awesome idea. Mm -hmm. Come on, Mr. Best friend, family, you know, whoever, you know, at certain points during the early days when we were trying to raise capital, I I thought I'd just go out on Scottsdale Road and start spinning one of those signs saying I need capital, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) willing to do maybe not so good things to get it, you know, but, yeah, uh, and you have to have conviction. And the bottom line is, is there's always a doubt in your mind. You're like, God, I hope this fucking works. Well, ab- dude, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I think I talked about this in another podcast, but it's a, it, there's a fine line. If, like you don't want to lie to investors. Right. But also, especially in the early days, if you tell the complete truth, they won't invest in you. No. So there's like this like fine line between uh, being an entrepreneur and trying to sell your dream, but also not going overboard you know, like Elizabeth Holmes or something like right. that, where you go completely in the opposite direction. So there is that you have to sell it, but you don't want to go too far in the other direction. But I mean, I, you know, those early days, you know, the interesting thing too, what I've noticed is that it actually was easier, in my opinion, even though we have raised $15 million, it was easier to raise money before COVID. Because once you, once you get product market fit and traction and all these things that any entrepreneur, you know, seeks to get, at a certain point, the micro, the microscope gets deeper and deeper on you, right? The better you do, the, the more investors are like, okay, all right, uh, I don't know. I mean, can that, can, can you really sustain this? Or, you know, are you really gonna have, you know, uh, compound annual growth and you know, blah, blah, right. blah, blah. It's like, yeah. so it's like, as you 
get further down the road and you become more yeah, successful. Yeah, what's your sales efficiency? Oh, oh that's they, not going to scale. Oh, right. it's not. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. So people you, are getting much more myopic on TAM and oh, all that stuff. And you know, you know, before you have all that growth and stuff, if you're able to sell the vision uh, well enough, then you're just selling vision. They don't mm -hmm. really have a product to see. They don't really have too much to see other than the fact that I like this person and seems like they have a cool I idea. Yeah, I believe them. And you know, a lot of my early investors, I mean, one in particular. Uh, who saved my ass so many times, like I've lost count, but he uh, he was always like, listen, man, I'm not investing into Evercast, I'm investing to you because I've I've invested into great ideas that have failed and I have invested into shitty ideas or ideas that I didn't think really had that good of a shot and they succeeded, right? So he's like, sometimes there's just no rhyme or reason to why things succeed or fail. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it does have to do with circumstance, mm -hmm. you know, a certain element of luck. I mean, obviously you have to work your ass off and do all those types of things, sure. but at the end of the day, there is that element how you could be, I mean, I'm sure someone tried starting Uber before Uber. Yeah, of course. But it, yeah, that's not, yeah, no. I mean, there's, you know? a, there's a trail of tears with every great idea. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, in early, in those early days, you know, I'll never forget how, you know, it's like you just keep getting to a certain point and then you hit like this wall and then you keep getting to a next point, keep hitting the wall and trying to get that product market fit. And for us, after it took us about two years just to get the software to the point where it was actually, I would say, good enough to demo. And by the way, basically what's what's the, what is Evercast? Yeah, let's, just go, let's go into that. I was gonna go to that right now. Yeah. So basically what it is, is we created, we like to call it Zoom on steroids. So, you know, like when you can screen share on Zoom. Mm -hmm. So originally this is like before COVID, but the whole idea was that the, we would create this super, super high quality screen share, like potentially up to 4K, 60 frames per second, and so an editor or a visual effects artist or whoever who's, you know, working on content could stream their workstations in, in this like inc in this like incredible high resolution quality with no drop frames. I mean, basically, when you're on an Evercast session, it, you know, it looks like you're watching a Netflix show or, you know, something on TV, even though it's actually being streamed straight out of some editors or some animators workstation. So. Mm -hmm. It, it enables work remote, it enables remote collaboration in a way that's never been really done before, specifically for media creators. So I'm a dumbass. So yeah, like, yeah. You, have to, you have to, you have to like help me. So, yeah. um, so you describe it as a screen share. Is it really a screen share? Or? It, that's, it does screen sharing, super, super high quality screen sharing, but you can also stream devices through it as well. So it doesn't have to be a screen share. Like, I mean, without getting too technical, but especially in Hollywood and in like professional media creation, they have all these devices where their their editing systems or their animating systems are going through certain hardware devices and we connect directly with those hardware devices and can stream that content straight into this Evercast, we'll call it Evercast conferencing room. And so directors and producers and team members can literally sit there and watch you know, whatever it is that they're working on in super high resolution with surround sound, if you yeah, choose you to have that. Yeah, you can crowdsource ideas and, oh, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so it's that, like- That would seem like like a more, you know, like, because it just, would just seem to me that that would be the use case, right? 100%. Well, and before COVID, what, what I was, so I was traveling to LA uh, for basically two years and I, we were lucky because we happened to meet um, this guy who's now one of my business partners. He's a co-founder of Rivercast, another co-founder of Rivercast, but his name is Roger Barton. And Roger is a 
well-known film editor. He's done Transformers and Star Wars and all these, these big movies in Scottsdale. I mean, Scottsdale, wow, in L.A. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he was looking for a solution at the time as well because one of the problems is, is that a lot of people don't want to travel. Like someone like Roger, who's an editor, he goes on location for six months away from his family when he doesn't really need to do it because he can do all the editing back in L.A. while, you know, they're out filming and stuff like that. But it's it's never been a, it, it's never been allowed to happen uh, up until something like Evercast came along, right? And, you know, back before I met Roger, the reason why we created the software was because in my previous company, when we were working on video content, it was always such a pain in the ass, especially if you're working with companies that are, or, sorry, like uh, content creators that are remote, right? Let's say I hire an advertising agency in New York and they're making this video for me. For them to send me clips and then I review those clips and I notate those clips, like at two minutes and 26 seconds, I don't like this or whatever, then they, it goes back to them and then the editor will make the edits and then send more files to me. Right. It's so much easier when you can just a hop platform. on. Put a platform on it. Yeah, put a platform on it, hop on live, and then no matter where you meet, whoever's in, no matter where you are in the world, you all get together and you start working on those edits in real time without having to wait for that like round trip of feedback to happen. So it, it makes the feedback extremely instant. And when and I- Your version control was also a huge ab- issue. Absolutely, yeah. for version control and all that type of stuff. So it just keeps people, it keeps people more engaged into the, or I say it keeps teams more engaged in the process of content creation, right? Because the cool thing is it could be eight o'clock at night and the, the editor could just call up the director and be like, hey, can you hop into an Evercast room for five minutes? I just gotta show you something, all right? Instead of sending that person a file and then waiting for their feedback, nah, you just hop into an Evercast room and it's literally like you're being, you know, it's, it's like you're sitting with the editor, just watching the ed- edits happen in real time. And you can, th- those five minute little mini micro sessions here and there, uh, I mean, it really helps push the project along. And when, before COVID, when, so after, well, let me go back to Roger real quick. So Roger just so happened to be living next door to a friend of ours, cause he was going through a divorce at the time. Um, and his relationship with his wife was, deeply impacted by the fact that for his, I think, 15 or 20 year career or however long it was, you know, Hollywood kept him away from the house, which means it kept him away from his wife. It kept him away from his kid and all that type of stuff. And so when he found when our neighbor happened to find out who Roger was, he went over, walked over to his house. and I was like, hey, my my buddy's working on this new software. Roger's like, oh, my God, this would be amazing. Gave him a demo, saw it. Uh, I think it was legendary. So he talked to legendary, legendary said, hey, uh, it passes all the secure, the necessary security stuff. So if the director, try it with the director, if he lets you use it, then you guys can use it. And then on some Sunday afternoon, they used it. And for a three hour session, the first session, the director is like, dude, you don't need to come to Atlanta to film this movie. Like you can stay in LA mm-hmm. and I'll just, we'll just do it remotely like you're doing right now. And, um, and legendary approved it. So therefore Pretty much, it was Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which came out like in 2018, I think it was. It's my favorite movie. That, oh, oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it <laughs> Dude, is. I've seen that shit 15 yeah, times. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Uh, but yeah, that whole movie, a uh, good part of that movie was made remotely through Evercast. And that obviously, at that point, Roger saw the light, became a pretty significant investor, an early on investor at the time. And uh, for the next two years, I he gave me a room at his house and he would, I mean, he had his Rolodex was crazy, right? So, because he's worked with everyone in the industry. So for two years, I'm going to LA every week, spending at least three to four days there every week. Uh, thank God, not in a hotel, but at his house and just 
knocking on doors. He would set up meetings or oh, him and I would both go to meetings or I'd go by myself. And it was basically trying to get these executives and these creatives to see the light that, first of all, there's a huge cost savings just when people don't have to travel, right? Mm -hmm. But number two, it's, I mean, a lot of these uh, directors and producers and stuff, they don't live necessarily near the studios. They live in Malibu or, you know, places where, I mean, in LA traffic, a one-way trip from Malibu into Burbank is, I mean, it's gonna be a 90-minute ride. So it's a three-hour round trip. You don't have to do that every day, right? So we were trying to sell the cost savings and the lifestyle benefits at the time. Um, but so would you say like today and like seeing it in hindsight, is the, is it, was the value of your software, was it the high resolution screen share? Like, or was it the workflow, you know, and the, 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 you know, the crowdsourcing functionality, yeah. like, how do you think about like, really, what was the technology? Value I, I would say the well, value number one was the quality of the stream. Got it. it doesn't matter what the source is, whether it was a screen share or whether it was you're pulling in a video source from a hardware device or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is the fact that you just get this super solid, you know, buttery smooth stream that looks like you're just watching the computer monitor at, uh, you know, at the editor's so, desk. I mean, that's basically. a pretty technical like, yeah. thing, right? Well, I mean, I mean it, I'm not a technologist, but I mean, that would seem like that would oh, be. Oh, dude, that's why it took us two years before we could even get it to a point to demo because it's one thing to capture an, an amazing high resolution stream like that. But the other challenge is also creating low latency, right? Which means that like whatever is, have you been on a, like a phone call or, a, you know, sometimes a Zoom session or whatever, where they're like, you start, you start seeing latency where people uh-huh. are talking over each other. Yeah. Well, it was really big for us to keep our latency at a sub hundred millisecond level because anything under a hundred milliseconds of latency, it basically feels like you're in the same room. Right. Yeah. So, so if the director is in Australia and the editor is in LA and the director goes, the director is watching something and goes, Oh, stop right there. The, the, the editor is hearing that command right away and stopping the playback of whatever it is they're watching, uh, which is exactly what they would do if they were sitting in the same room anyway, working on an edit as an example, right? So the other thing too was our deep understanding of professional creative workflow, right? So not only did we have this amazing stream that we could produce, mm-hmm. but also not every setup in Hollywood or even just in professional advertising, like not every setup is the same. They use different equipment there's different monitors and all these things. And so over the course of all these years, you know, leading up to COVID, we built this kind of intellectual knowledge base of how to pretty much stream anything. I don't care if you were an editor or an animator or a sound designer or a, you know, whatever the heck you did, you could, we could stream 99% of the stuff that you could throw at us. We could figure out a way to stream that into an Evercast room so you could collaborate with your team remotely. Um, and then so, you know, but old habits die hard and, you know, getting people to see the light was obviously much more difficult than we ever could have thought. And, um, you know, I mean, leading up to COVID, there was a moment in 2000. <laughs> Everyone was getting me too. Oh, they were distracted. Dude, it was, it was, it was nuts. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> Just too many, you know, like, you know, like yeah. really unfortunate incidents that, happened. Those guys that, you know. Absolutely. They had their hands yeah. full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One night, one day I'm talking to an executive and the next moment he gone. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to start the whole sales cycle again, right? right? My champion's but, gone. Oh, dude, you know, I mean, like, and that's the thing is, I mean, the first, I'll say the first part, the first, uh, we'll call it the first few chapters of Evercast. It was a story about innovating. It was about bringing in the fuel, which is capital, and trying to convince investors that we had something here. And if we could stick in long enough, it would work out, right? And I've got like, 
like one of the examples I'll bring up, and it's an example I bring up quite often is, so it was like 2000, late, it was after the Godzilla thing, right? And we owed our developers like $350,000. And they, I mean, there's a line where people think they're fucked. And there's a line where you're actually fucked. Mm -hmm. Most people actually give up at the first line. Right. Oh, 100%. So there's a second line in that distance. Let's say it's a football field, right? I love that. The two lines. There's two lines. And because it's the thing is, entrepreneurs, if you're good, will always figure it out. 100%. Which leads me, so there's a book that Ben Horowitz from um, uh, Andreessen wrote, which is called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm -hmm. And in the book, he talks about there's always a move to make. I think it's like near the end of the book, Mm -hmm. right? And that line in that book stuck with me. And so there was this one moment where we were, we were, we were at that second line. Like we exhausted all options. The lights are about to be shut off. I, you know, I'm telling my fiance at the time that I'm going to have to go out and get a job at Home Depot for the time being so we can put food on the table. And I'm going to have to call my investors and tell them I lost all their money. I mean, just like the entrepreneur's worst nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. So we were truly, truly fucked. And all the investors that we currently had, I already talked to, they didn't want to do it or couldn't do it or couldn't justify more risk. And so there was only one guy left and this is a guy named Rick. And Rick uh, at the time already was in for like a half a million dollars. And he already turned me down three weeks, three weeks earlier. But this was a moment where, oh, I forgot the most important part though. So we were truly fucked and we found an investor who was gonna come in for a million dollars and save the day and got the subscription agreement, written up and all that good stuff, sent it out to him. And then he even signed the subscription agreement. But then the morning that he was supposed to wire, he calls me and says, dude, I've been thinking about it. I just, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do it. Like the risk is too high for me. I just can't, I've been sleeping out. I've been, I've been losing sleep over it, thinking about it. And I just can't, I can't. At least he called you. He did, no. (laughs) I've had investors totally ghost me, which is by the way, for any of you investors out there, it's not worth it. It's not cool. You can tell me, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll take it. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that this guy, he called and told me, and it was the first time, I mean, there's been some very, very serious moments where we had to look in the mirror and kind of be tested, but this was one of those moments where we were fucked the day before and we thought we were saved and now we're completely fucked again. And so I'm actually getting physically sick. I have to lay on the couch at my house. My dog hops on my chest. It's like, what's wrong? <laughs> and, like in your pathetic, uh, like, oh, like in the Cheetos totally. your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like you're one pathetic loser. No offense. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I'm just, you know, and I'm like, think now all the nightmare scenarios are going back through my mind. And I'm thinking about Amanda and how am I gonna have to tell her again that, okay, well, I'm fucked again. Like, you mm-hmm. know, I was saved yesterday and now I'm fucked again. And, um, there's this guy, Rick, who turned me down three weeks ago. And I'm like, you know, at least he'll listen to me. Mm-hmm. I know he'll at least, if he's in town, he will at least meet with me. And sure as shit, he just so happened to be in town that day. Long story short, I went over to his house. Two, uh, two hours later, he looked me in the eye and said, I'm doing this for you. I believe you can do this. And he wrote me a $400,000 check to save the company. And actually, it was such an impactful moment in my life that I keep a picture of it on my cell phone wallpaper here. Nice. So that's him signing, that's him signing the check as a reminder. This is a reminder that no matter where we've gone and where I take Evercast into the future and what I do after Evercast, like it's a reminder of the shit that I've had to deal with in order to get to where we are. And back to Ben's book, you know, if it wasn't for that book, and I highly recommend any entrepreneur reading that book specifically. Mm -hmm. And investor, really. Absolutely, because like, it's so hard I mean, if someone told me 
everything that I was gonna have to go through to get this company to where it is. Like if I, if someone was to be like, you know, this is gonna happen and that's gonna happen. I still think I would have done it, but until you actually go through it, you don't know what you're truly capable of lifting yourself out of, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're all, you know, we're, we're all risk adverse to a certain extent, but sometimes, you know, you rise up to the occasion and you're able to pull it off. And so that was a very significant moment for me. And that book, if it wasn't for reading that book and having that, there's always a move to make. There's mm -hmm. always a move to, going through my mind. I don't know if I would have made that fucking phone call. Mm -hmm. Cause I was, you know, at a certain point, not only is your belief in your idea being tested, but also it's like, I like this guy. Mm -hmm. Not only is he an investor, but I mean, I like him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so am I lying to him? Like he's already in for half a million dollars. And if I'm going to ask him for another, and hell, I didn't even need 400,000. I needed 350 exact. Mm -hmm. um, am I stealing from this guy? Mm -hmm. That's what kept going through my mind. But, you know. Where um, did you, where did you feel like in your gut? I mean, you saw something, there's obviously something going on. Yeah, right. we already had revenue. All right, so you had so we are, revenue. Yeah, we're already, we're at that moment, I think we were doing maybe like 30,000 a month. Okay, so you had, yeah. you know, early signal product market. Fit. 100%. You know, you had conviction. So, 100%. Yeah, and that, and that means a lot. When you Huge. can sell somebody in the eye, like, dude, this is fucking well, working. Well, and my thesis to the investors at the time was that it wasn't gonna be a pandemic, but I was actually selling the idea that there was going to be some economic downturn that we were, just, we were just due for one, like, you know, and that the studios would start looking for ways to save money and travel would be one of the first things to go. Um, and what's interesting, what's really interesting now is that so obviously we, we COVID hits and we have this ginormous explosion of growth and, you know, our brand becomes a household name in Hollywood and all that type of stuff. But now as COVID is starting to, you know, hopefully back away, now we're starting to talk to, you know, advertising companies and talk to studios. And now the cost saving thing seems to start because of- It's resonating. It's resonating, yeah. yes, because now we don't know, who knows what, what's gonna happen in 2023 with the economy and all that mm -hmm. type of stuff. And so you can tell a lot of these uh, companies that create content are starting to consider, okay, so you know, if we need to save some cost here, where are we gonna save it? Well, travel 100% is gonna be the first thing to go, or one of the first, unless it's absolutely 100% necessary. Um, but uh, but yeah, man. I mean, March twelfth. It was March eighth. March eighth hit, and um, I'll never forget, like Double Tree Road being completely empty, mm -hmm. and there was no one out. And I went to the office and I looked into our HubSpot, you know, uh, CRM, and it was just like, holy shit, what's what's happening here? And then mm -hmm. every day. And by the way, at the time, it was we had I think three developers, uh, and it was me, Roger, who by the way, Roger like. Roger also had a full-time job still doing editing and everything like that. So it was me, Roger, and this other guy, Alex. So those are the three founders. Um, and there's actually a, a, a fourth founder too. And he, and his well, actually I founded it. There's, you know, I think I own a little piece, so. Yeah, yeah I'm Five, sure, I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> I mean, there, everyone's yeah, a founder. Yeah, in yeah no, yeah, yeah. Our cap table is about <laughs> 10 miles long. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, like, you know, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was crazy to see how much came in and it was, so not only was it, and Roger was in LA, so it was me and Alex here, along with one other employee at the time, or it was actually no, it was one, two, it was three other employees at the time, uh, two salespeople and then, you know, one uh, guy who just helped with support and helped me onboard people. So literally it was us onboarding hundreds and hundreds of TV shows and movies mm -hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And what do you and do? It, is your revenue model, do you charge by the project? 
Well, we don't charge by project. We charge we charge by room. So you pay for like picture the Evercast room, like a virtual like Zoom room, right? right? Like we instead of paying per seat, you're paying for that room. So it's basically it's like let's just say it's six hundred and fifty or no, it's like seven hundred fifty bucks a month. Yeah, and the and, room. Yeah, and so the room like that's where you can get some like that's where the TAM expansion kind of comes in. Absolutely. Because if you were relying on just the amount of studios, you know, you would have a smaller market. Co- correct, right? exactly. Yeah. And now what's like, now what's starting to happen is like, we're getting interest because, you know, we, we like to, not only do we have the highest quality stream and just conferencing experience in general, but we also have, you know, we're, we we have to be very secure for all the, the studios and stuff that use the platform and everything that, that you know, I mean, I mean, a movie like Top Gun, for example, I mean, the a good part of that movie was made remotely through Evercast. I mean, Tom was traveling between L.A. and London, I believe it was, or whatever it was. Um, and I mean, he didn't, he really didn't, I, from my understanding, that he movie was so good. Wasn't Top it? Gun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a credit, too, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, what's really cool is we got a credit in three movies in 2022. We got a credit in Top Gun, mm-hmm. got a credit in Jurassic World, and got a credit in Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, both of what all three of those movies, I mean, we were part of the remote collaboration strategy. I mean, Avatar alone, I think they were collaborating over two or three continents or something like that. I mean, it was it was crazy. And actually, the last time I was at with the last time I was in L.A. before COVID hit was uh, when Cameron still had a, a house in I think it was in Mal- yeah, I was in Malibu and I was there to set up um his the, the workstation to make sure that the, that everything would work properly and everything like that and then literally a week later that's when when covid hit but um so we had some sick i mean before covid we did have some significant people using the platform top gun was already using us before covid yeah, um yeah good usage yeah, yeah yeah absolutely so i mean but again it was just it was it was hard it was hard to try to prove that we could scale this thing and um and then we, yeah so yeah. like how did like how were you able to out engineer and i don't even know if this was a priority but like you know, video conferencing that's kind of a mature product right in general right and yeah like you know zoom i think kind of like you know kicked cisco oh yeah you know, in the ass because oh, they made a better user experience mm-hmm. i think around the product but yeah the core technology of that was uh, zoom's that was zoom's win right there it was just yeah. trying to make it as stupid simple as possible <laughs> and lightweight and mm-hmm. pretty yep yeah and then and then now i look at you and it's like it seems like the whole if, if you get me right, it's not, it's not so much the, I mean, the, the wraparound product is phenomenal, but yeah. it, it's, there's really underlying IP and just how the, the picture gets rendered. Abs- absolutely. I mean, we've got this new thing called pixel weave, um, where we're, you know, now we're processing the stream through the GPU and not the CPU, which is fantastic because what happens is a lot of times if you have an underpowered computer and that computer is processing Adobe Premiere or Avid Media Composer, it's already doing a lot of computations just with running those pieces of software. And then you throw Evercast into the loop, which is also trying to encode those things mm-hmm. and stream it out into like a video conferencing room. It can be very taxing on the CPU for what's to say less, you know, less than ideal computers. But now we've moved um, the processing over to the GPU, which usually is not being used nearly to its fullest extent, right? So we offload some of the computations from the CPU to the GPU. Um, which makes it so you can you can have a slower computer and still just put off this badass stream. So why isn't like Zoom done this? Um, I think part of it, well, part of it is because Zoom and all the other video conferencing platforms, um, they're, I think, more geared towards 
scale and you know yeah they're super, growing super horizontally steep. yeah 100 percent. they're not going deep no yeah. and by the way like now that we've matured more um i mean i'd like to say that this whole idea of this screen sharing on steroids and streaming on steroids that's kind of like our that's like our old trick that's what we started that's what that's how we became how dope known. would it be if zoom bought you Oh, I mean, I mean, be awesome. yeah. badass. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom my number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I think what with us, you know, now, for example, we're taking the software into we now do like full color, for example. Right. So we do uh, a 10 bit 444 color. We do HDR. So like, you know, on your TV, when it's like when it shows HDR, mm -hmm. well, you can now stream HDR content through Evercast, so the people on the other end who are watching it are also receiving HDR. Can't even come close to that with any of the video conferencing platforms. We have integrations into, uh, you know, certain partners. Um, so you can, you know, like there's this company called Media Silo, and we integrate directly with them. So you can stream assets and Media Silo, Media Silo directly into Evercast, and people can collaborate over those files together. Um, but the 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 color accuracy is a very crucial part, especially when it comes to, let's say, if you're working on visual effects or animation, right? Because if you're just working on an edit, if you're just editing a movie and it's not, you're not close to the finishing part of it, mm -hmm. color isn't as important. But when you, you know, when you're working on visual effects or animation where you want to make sure that whatever colors you're seeing on the animator's workstation, that the director and the other team members who aren't there locally are seeing the same colors remotely. Um, because I mean, I never realized this until I got into the industry, how important coloring is to the overall mm -hmm. movie making, TV show, commercial making process. Like color is a very important, yes. Yeah, yeah, we just take it for granted. We watch something on TV and it, we're like, oh, it looks pretty, right? It looks nice, right? Um, but you don't realize that there is a whole color science going in to coloring a movie, right? Remember like Breaking Bad, for example, like all the Breaking Bad episodes had a certain mm -hmm. patina about them. like kind of on the yellowish side, right? Mm -hmm. That's all intentional because color can help bring out emotion, mm -hmm. uh, you know, along with sound and lighting and all where, that other stuff. Where do you stuff. think like the streaming battle's gonna end up? You know, I always like, that's why I never bought Netflix. I was like, okay, it's a, you know, it's really fast growing, but you know, I mean, it costs a lot of money to make oh. these things. Oh my God, you know, it's a ton of money. And it's like these actors and these writers, I mean, there's no moat there. They'll go to the next highest bidder. Ab so, absolutely. Like, you know, I think Disney did it right because they're buying franchises. Yep, right? yep. But like, where do you think this is going? I don't know, man. I mean, I think, uh, I think first of all, it does come down to the quality of the content. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like, okay, I mean, Netflix does make really good content. They've got some very good shows, you know, and they have to continue to innovate on those concepts. You know, I mean, like a new Squid Games is coming out. I think I think a new Stranger Things will be coming out eventually. And mm -hmm. you, you, you have to find those kind of key uh, pieces of content that are represented by by, you know, your streaming platform. You got to own those. I mean, for Paramount, it's probably Yellowstone and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So. Um, the more hits you can get, the more likely it is that people are going to stay on your platform. Um, but where it's going to go is I think it's going to be, I mean, I think it's going to come down. I think the three major players will always be Netflix. Uh, it'll be Netflix, Apple. I think Apple's going to do a really good job. They're mm -hmm. already doing a good job. Um, and Disney. And, and Disney. Yeah. Apple's got a lot. I mean, like Apple's got to like, I, I need more shit from Apple. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. not, they're. 
they're they need to step it up. They're definitely, uh, I mean, they're definitely, you know, they're definitely working on a lot. I'm sure. Their um, stuff's good. Like I it's think very good. Yeah. From very a, from high like, quality. Yeah. From the number of stuff that I've seen and the number of hits that come from there, I think they've got a really great well, ratio. And dude, like, unless you've seen, unless you know how these types of pieces of content are made, I mean, people have no idea what goes into making their hit show a hit. Like, <laughs> yes, dude, it is unfucking believable. Mm -hmm. I always say that, like. It's the people behind the camera that make the action happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I mean, they, I've been on so many sets and watching these things being made and it just looks ridiculous. It looks like a high school play mm -hmm. when they're filming it. And then you see it on TV and you're like, it did not fucking look like that. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I it mean, it looked I, like a high school play. No, That's no, amazing. literally. It's like, you know, you, you see two big actors and you know who these actors are and you're watching them retake the same scene over and over and over again. <laughs> and it doesn't look, there's no, I mean, there's, your eye, you're, you're just seeing it for as it's real, right? right? And then when you throw in the coloring and the lenses, the, the distortion that right. lenses create, all these like elements, and then you watch it on TV and you're just, holy shit, yeah. it did not look like that. And the amount of time, like people just don't understand, even when things aren't good, like even if you watch a movie or TV show and it's not good, now that I've been through all this, I have such appreciation for the people behind the camera that do all the work because it's truly incredible. It's actually amazing to me how they get stuff out on time. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, and nowadays because everything is even streamed to the movie theaters and everything, mm -hmm. they literally can work on movies, I think up to like two or three weeks before it's release. So, I mean, a lot of these productions, they are working or even with these TV shows where there's multiple episodes in a season, they'll release like the first three episodes because they know that buys them three weeks but they're still working on like mm -hmm. the last one or two right because you know there's just so many especially that you know even in business too it's amazing how the reason why it's so hard to forecast and determine how long things are going to take is because we we underestimate that last five percent it's mm -hmm. like the last five percent of anything that's big mm -hmm. takes like 95 percent mm -hmm. of the time mm -hmm. and it goes for at least what i've experienced in my entrepreneurial life it's almost constant like anytime our developers say it's gonna take this long, I'm always like adding this buffer because I know there's a 5% thing in there that we're not accounting for that's probably gonna take longer. Same thing with like financials and all that type of stuff. So mm -hmm. in the movie business, it's truly incredible that they can pick a, a like a release date and hit it mm -hmm. without having to uh, two weeks out be like, okay, we need to not release this, we'll release it some other time. And a lot of people also don't realize, and I didn't know this, but a lot of movies and TV, sometimes they're not even released. Mm -hmm. Like they'll go in the production, they'll film it, they'll go in the post-production and they, they just never finish it. Hmm. Cause it's hard to make. Yeah. It's, and to see the level of content that Netflix creates is truly, um, I mean, it's just fucking inspiring. Mm -hmm. When you know what it takes to make even something that's not a good show, mm -hmm. it's still to make it look professional and sound professional. Did you see Dahmer? I did. Dude. I did. <laughs> That guy, <laughs> Dude, that guy was something else. That huh? guy was a uh, yeah, yeah. Next time, if one of my neighbors, if there's, if there's a smell coming from the house, <laughs> I saw uh, a, a t-shirt on on Twitter for like you know the was it the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It said mm -hmm. like and it said Dahmer went to Ohio State. Oh my god, <laughs> that's actually kind of funny. I know it's like hilarious. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, so what's going on? What's what's exciting for you this year? What are you working on? Uh, the technology, um, I mean, I'm, I can't really discuss what we're finishing up, but a lot of what we've been building in 2022, we're going to be releasing in 2023, particularly the first and second quarter of this year. Mm -hmm. um, 
a lot, you know, it's like I said, it's color related, uh, it's integration related. We got some really interesting partnerships that are kind of forming that I can't talk about right now, but um, I think uh, they could be, you know, definitely really cool partnerships. So I'm excited about that. Um, and it's just, you know, it's continue stability. Like, you know, one of the problems that we had in 2021 was in 2020, we had, it was like 1400% growth. I mean, it was just, it was nuts. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's, you know, when you're a software founder specifically, you build a piece of technology planning to scale, but you never truly know if your technology is going to scale until mm -hmm. you actually do scale. And most companies don't scale like this, no. right? So ship breaks. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So all of a sudden for some, some miracle in 2020, we almost had no issues, which is amazing. But all of a sudden in 2021, the volume keeps increasing. And then there's this moment, I think it was probably February 21, where we hit this, this line and all of a sudden our AWS started crashing and servers weren't shutting down and our autoscaler wasn't working. And it just became, you know, this intense battle. I mean, obviously our investors wanted us to grow, 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 grow. And at the same time, we got clients who want us to build new features. And at the same time, we're trying to fix what our platform, like all the things that are wrong with the platform, right? Mm -hmm. So technical debt, all, uh, all that stuff. dude, yeah. technical debt, hardcore. Yeah. So 20, it's like what Elon actually has a great quote where he goes, and I relate to this because he's like, it's like going down the freeway in a bus at 90 miles an hour and you have to change two of the tires, but you can't, the bus can't stop. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a, the, what was it, Speed, the movie? Yeah. <laughs> Not a you second can't. favorite movie. <laughs> yeah, second favorite. Yeah. Exactly. Whoa. Um, Whoa. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, all you Keanu, uh, Keanu Reeves fans know what that is. Yeah. Um, oh, John, John Wick, man. John, dude, John, John Wick's badass. John Wick is super badass and I hope they keep making a hundred of them. <laughs> dude, I'll watch every uh, single every, one. Every single one. But, uh, but yeah, so I mean, 2021 was this, you know, if, if if I was speaking to entrepreneurs who go who ever go through that type of scale, it's that you can't fix your platform, grow revenue and improve your platform all at the same time. Mm -hmm. You kind of have to pick and choose a little bit what you're going to spend your time on. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, looking back at it now uh, and again, it was 2021. So, I mean, I mean, companies were just getting bought left and right. And it was mm -hmm. I mean, it was it was, it was crazy. Yeah. It was just nuts. Right. And uh so, you know, we should have probably have taken a step back to kind of complete the foundation of the platform before trying to scale more. Um, now, luckily we survived it. We got through everything. It was very, very difficult, but uh, you know, now our uptime has been incredible, right? You know, we're at the five nines basically. And um, you know, everything has, has worked itself out, but I can't, I can tell you that it was, you know, again, there was the pre COVID challenges and then there were the post COVID challenges. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, every company, I guess, goes through these types of plateaus. Right. Mm -hmm. And along that way, you're going to, you know, you have people who stay, you have people who go, you know, it's, you've got seven new challenges. It's always those unknown unknowns that will fuck you every time, <laughs> but it's how you handle the unknown unknowns. Mm -hmm. Um, that I think kind of make the difference between whether or not you even have a chance of succeeding as an entrepreneur or not, because, I mean, honestly, just basing it off of my own experience, I, I, you know, I think entrepreneurship is highly glorified. You it know, sucks. To be sexy, you know but I mean? it, yeah. it really does suck. And um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think most people are cut out for it. No. I don't even think I was cut out for it, but it was, again, it was like a survival thing, right? Where it's like, well, I'm fucking already in now. Yeah. You know, I'm already in for a few million dollars. 
um, I'm not going to give up now, you know? So sometimes you don't know what you're capable of until you get yeah. into it. And then half, and like half of them are just like, you know, like you have to have something wrong with you really like yeah. to, uh, to do it. Oh, and, it's yeah. like, and then like part of it is like, yeah. you know, I think half of the founders are probably like antisocial. Uh, like, uh, absolutely. You know, like kind of like, you know, a little bit of a sociopath. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, you don't <laughs> want to come. Good, yeah, don't be know? my, be, be near my house at night. The lights <laughs> out. <laughs> no, I, I think there's definitely, I think. I think what happens is too, is I think you do kind of like a weightlifting, you do become, um, you know, you get, you get like the callus, right? And you, 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 things that were once hard, like I, the, the stress that I've had to handle over the last year and a half. I mean, if that would have happened any time in my life before that, I don't think I ever would have been able to handle that, that stress. Right. So it's, it's a big part of it is just, if you're able to survive long enough and you surround yourself around good enough people, you know, and that's, that's another huge thing, dude. Like the people who I have around me now, Mm -hmm. the you know the the our investor group our board our our team like man we're just fucking firing on all cylinders now but it was so difficult to yeah. get there you and i smacked saw, around a little bit oh smacked around a lot yeah. and i by the way i was looking at some of your uh, the podcast that you did and you did one with um uh well melissa from lighter uh-huh that was cool. That yeah. was really cool. We actually use lighter. Oh, do you? Yeah, lighter saved our ass. Yeah, she's a badass. Yeah, no, she's a super badass. Yeah, and and to be fair, I mean, like when we ran into some financial troubles in 2021 for a little bit, um, they worked with us, and mm -hmm. you know, shout out to lighter. Lighter. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by Lighter Capital. Lighter absolutely did save us when we needed them at the time, mm -hmm. um, and they worked with us uh, when things got a little rocky there for for a bit. Um, so you know, Melissa, thank you to you and your team for. <laughs> Definitely stepping up for us when we needed to. That's awesome. No, um, she's, no, she's one of the good ones for sure. Yep. Yep. But I, you know, also I will tell, say that, you know, for entrepreneurs looking for capital options, um, you know, there's pros and cons to equity and there's pros and cons to debt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you And know, it's a market, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a market. Uh, absolutely. So a couple quick canned questions before yeah. we end. Favorite sure. book? Hard thing about hard things. Yep. Perfect. Down. Best piece of business advice? Surround yourself around, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Okay, nice. And third, and the most important, which did you have a better time on? Hamid's podcast or my podcast? Oh, that's a tough one. Don't I'm, even lie. I man. love, I love Hamid, man. Hamid's great, but I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, this one, pretty, pretty good. Pretty, yeah. I mean, your affect, you're a lot uh, more animated. I dropped an F-bomb, you just sort of like all giddy and well, giggly. Dude, dude. I, I got a little reverb on my voice, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but, no, I mean, but this has been amazing. Uh, and I'm, I, you know, I was grateful. And thank you for Philip for, you know, setting this up. Uh, Philip, I met at the, some Chase event a few, few weeks ago, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's, and what you're doing is really important, whether it's from the entrepreneurial side or from the investor side. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I think it's it's a great sneak peek into kind of like what's going on both in the business world and also the investment world. And so you got a podcast coming up? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plug we're, it. We're Plug still working. Shit. How easy it isn't. Okay. .com. Mm -hmm. We're uh, we've already released a bunch of episodes, um, but uh, it's 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 just it's content based around the entrepreneurial struggle and you know what we have to go through to to be ins as insane as we are. Love it. Yeah. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to the Capital Stack, where we talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. We drop an episode every Tuesday on all your platforms, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. If you like it, please tell a friend, leave a review, cancel me, do whatever. And I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing.
David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.